each other in real life when I was in Sydney last year. We had some coffee together, which was kind of cool. Getting to see some actual faces in this industry. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't happen all the time. We were just talking about working with teams. Let's, let's get back to that. Because you were you were saying that um it's not and it's not a recent thing. You've been working with teams all over the world, people in Turkey and I guess in Portugal, like me, and uh and and time zones are pretty much all over the place, right? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, what I was just saying off the record is it is cool because now um yeah, as you pointed out, it's not recent. It's been for a while, even before the pandemic, but it only yeah. increased after that but yeah working with people in europe in asia uh all over in australia and it's cool because now you can when you look for talent you don't need to see oh they're in la you know they can be anywhere and if you and you can make the time zone kind of work you always get a little bit of overlap yeah. wherever you are in the world and especially once you get that rapport going with people it's it's fine and i think it's nice because it's kind of leveled the playing field in terms of who can work with us now or work on american projects you know you can be someone in like we were saying turkey you might not have the opportunity to travel to the u.s and to try and like knock on doors or get a visa or things like that so it's it's kind of an exciting time for people to be all over the world and just doing work. And if that gets recognized, yeah. then you get that opportunity to work with us. And and where do you typically find new people? Is it on social media? Are you the one trying to find new people? Is there like somebody at Elastic that's headhunting? How does that work? Uh, there's a bit of both. So we have the operations team, they'll find people and they're usually working on the staff schedules so you can look on a list to try to work out who's available mm. and they'll also send out emails or we might do a call and say like oh these are some new people who've reached out because a lot of people are reaching out yeah, to yeah. the like the elastic site but then we ourselves also as creative directors always kind of keeping our eye open and looking for new talent as well and you know suggesting people for certain projects because often projects you need like a certain style or maybe you've found someone before that mm. there's not a job on right now but then later when another job comes through you're like oh that person would be perfect so and i've got it... my own list yeah yeah like, and i'll write a note of you know what sort of style or what type of work they right. do. I would I would imagine I would imagine each each creative director has his own list of people he, he's worked with before, or people he loved to work with, and then those are cross connected throughout the whole studio in some way, right? Yeah, exactly. I think all the creative directors probably have their own little secret list that they <laughs> release. It's that's, a, that's the problem once you once you work with someone in the studio if you suggested them then the operations team will be like oh they did well and then suddenly they're like All available right. for everyone so yeah. you only get a couple of times right. keeping the people to yourself. 
<laughs> right, 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 right. And, and does is is it the same for designers and animators and three D guys and and effects artists? Is it, it does it work the same way? I mean, you know, getting a concept designer or somebody or a designer to come in and work on a concept at the concept stage that's that's one thing, and that's a particular set of skills, as Liam Neeson would. <laughs> would put it but um this, but for somebody if, if you need a particle dude or somebody who works with liquid stuff and who's more on the technical side that's that's different do you also go out and look for those people in the same way as you do for designers yeah there's all yeah as you point out lots of different skills and you know sometimes you got to do a bit of digging when you're looking at someone's work to see what role they did and their specialty. And yeah, you usually in my list, I'll write down like Houdini dynamics or like C4D and the type of style that they have if they're an animator or designer. So yeah, you just got to kind of, we do have a, well, we did have like this talent list where it was split up into like design and animation and then dynamics, mm. dynamics being a separate category. So yeah, I think you got to just, it can be hard, you know, you might just see a showreel and then you can't really mm. work out always. You got to read the about and then look at some of the other projects, what role they did. And then how many people are on the team? You know, sometimes I might just say animation, but you know, how many people were on that animation team? So you got to kind of work out maybe specifically what they were doing over a few different projects and then try and get a recommendation as well. You know, if someone can come in with a recommendation, then uh, okay. you feel a lot more confident. Right. If it's a fresh person no one's worked with, you know, it is a bit of a right, a bit of a test or a bit of a, a little bit of a risk sometimes. But that's why if you ask around, you know, often like people who haven't worked in the studio, you can ask around the creative directors or the producers. Usually, someone has some sort of, uh, even if it's like a friend of a friend, you can get a recommend. So it's good to get that. You know, obviously, first you want to like the work. And then if you can get that recommend, then that helps a lot for sure. And, I, and I'm guessing it's there's more of a risk there when you're hiring, let's say, uh, a dynamics artist versus a designer. Because a designer, typically on a, on a pitch, you'll have like maybe three, four people working on something. And if it doesn't work out with a designer, it's not that big of a risk. But especially because you, you'll be able to figure out probably in like, three four days if he's gonna nail it or not whereas mm -hmm. with a, a technical person usually it's like maybe two weeks before you figure out he's not getting there where it's supposed to be going and by then you know money has been spent <laughs> and off of the budget so right there's a difference there yeah exactly so in those situations exactly like if it's just a pitch and a designer you can take a risk and you know, it's good to try out new people actually in those situations because, you know, it's always nice to have fresh talent and new people can surprise you with a new style or a new way of working. And, 
you know, it's definitely great to always be meeting new people. And but the pitch, you're totally right, is not risk free, but it's a lot easier. Whereas when you're then, if you win a pitch and you're building out the team, that's when for sure you need to be certain. So if it's a big job, or depending on the time we're going to book someone, it's nice to do a call with the people on the more yeah like the production side just to sort of sound them out a little bit you know ask about some of the projects they've done how comfortable they are show them the brief talk through things so yeah, yeah in those situations if you're going to book your production team I think it's good to do a, a call and you can usually tell kind of quick on that call you know <laughs> someone who's a pro even just the way they communicate Mm -hmm. or you can get a vibe you know mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if they're coming in and they're professional and they ask the right questions you know you get a good feeling you know that gut feeling usually is like mm -hmm. it's not often wrong that <laughs> gut feeling i remember i talked to someone last year and then a lot of people were recommending and then i talked to him and i'm like yeah this dude's a pro you know straight away right Just some of the things he was saying i was like yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Have you ever had situation? You don't, you don't have to obviously name names, but where people have gone, you know, a wall or <laughs> some sort of a disaster. Uh, like that? Yeah, there's been a few of those. You know, that's that's part of the challenge yeah. of the job, which at the time can be stressful, but that's part of the responsibility if you're creative directing the job to make sure everyone's working working well to their potential and to the benefit of the job and if something's looking like it's not working out which again you usually get that gut feeling and you start to think on maybe like a Tuesday ooh this isn't <laughs> totally working out and no, then no talk to the producer and you know sometimes you do have to make that tough decision of of moving them on to another job I mean the cool thing is sometimes if you have a few jobs on they might not be right for this particular project but then right. you go oh we've got this other thing that's maybe longer form and you know we could use your talent on this one so you know, we're talking about freelancers too, so it's not yeah, that yeah, people yeah. are getting getting uh, fired, but it's more like, okay, you're not working out on this job. Can we use you on another Something job else. or in a different way? Or how can we work to your strengths to help us out somewhere else? But sometimes, yeah, you do need to, as you say, money's being spent and also time is ticking, you know? If you only That's have right. four weeks, five weeks whatever you have you can't really afford to be wasting time so yeah. if things aren't working then you do need to make that decision and it's often you know sometimes it's people aren't always the right fit for a certain job it's no it's not necessarily a bad reflection on them you might still recommend them for the for the studio but you know sometimes <laughs> If it's quite niche, you know, not everyone's going to fit 
and they might even they might even say you know yeah i'm not a right the right fit for this but yeah sometimes you do need to have a sidebar with the producer and kind of work out how to uh maybe take someone off that's happened to me but, when, uh, years ago when when i that was actually quite a, quite a bit of time ago i was working on something as a freelancer on on a gig and it wasn't my thing but i was kind of young and i needed to kind of prove myself to everybody and i said to myself like i can do it i can do it of course i it, i i was doing it but it wasn't looking that good it wasn't working out and the uh, creative director was very cool of uh getting on a call with me and telling me hey um what's going on usually your output is much higher than you know quality than what you're you you seem to be fumbling around a little bit and i said yeah i'm not really getting there as strongly as i usually do and he, and and she said uh look we can always find you something else to work on it's totally fine you don't have to you don't have to nail everything you just be honest to yourself and to your to your team and i kind of learned a lesson there of you know you need to be honest to yourself first and just say look this isn't my thing and i don't think i think by now people know that they're not gonna hire me to work on a nickelodeon rebrand because look, <laughs> look at my portfolio doesn't you know doesn't really <laughs> i'm not your dude and as, but by now you know i know that and my portfolio shows that and i if necessary i'll tell people that look it's it's not my thing um as I that that's an important lesson. I think when you're younger, it's difficult to understand that. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I was talking about. The pros, when you get on the call, yeah. They'll often they'll even suggest a call. You know what I mean? So they'll be like, can we do a call before you book me? We want to make sure we're the right fit. So I think once you get to that level of experience the company booking you is trying to work out if you're the right fit and then you yourself also is trying to work out if you're the right fit because you don't waste your own time yeah so i think you're right it comes with experience to kind of know your specialty and you know what you want to take on you were talking earlier about when finding new talent um there's like this label that you guys use for this designer does a certain style uh this one does another style or even for animators or 3d people they do this sort of technical thing here and there and those go into into boxes let's say and i know i, I do the same and i think we all need to do that because uh, we're always on in on a rush to build teams or work on pitches and we need to have a place we can go to and kind of find the right people for the right job that being said i can i can see that on the other side people might feel like they're being typecast and they're only going to get me to work on 3d blobby stuff i want to do character design or i want to do title sequences i don't want to do any commercials anymore or shoe commercials or whatever you know what i mean so that's kind of a cast 22 where I'm guessing, you know, the work that you have on your portfolio is going to be the work I'm going to hire you for. Um, and if you want to do something else, is it on them to show that they can do something else? Or is it an opportunity that the creative director or the person hiring uh, 
should give them on a risk, let's say. How do you feel about that? Well, I think if it's the first time that you worked with someone, you'd probably be working with them based on their kind of established look or style. But mm -hmm. once you've got a rapport with someone, maybe they do do a certain look, but if you can see they're talented and you have a good rapport working with each other, I think you, you can then start to see, oh, you know, I think they could do this other thing and you can talk to them about it. And, you know, often, usually people are keen to, you know, push themselves and try out a new, a new thing. So I think it's, it's about getting the relationship with the studio. Maybe you come in on your certain look or style, but when then once you've worked on a few projects and people see you're talented and you work well and people like working with you, I think then there's more opportunity to work on these other jobs. Sometimes you might hear about the other job or, you know, sometimes I'll be, if we're working on a job with a team, you know, sometimes you have a down day or two. I'm always thinking like, all right, what's going on with this other job? So I might say, oh, you know, like well, this is this other thing we're doing. That's an opportunity too. Sometimes I'll like test out people for a few days on another job. Right. And that's what you need to sort of those people to maybe then work in this new style or whether right. it's design or animation. So I think it's getting that relationship with the studio and then probably more opportunities will come. Or if you're starting out, maybe you yourself and you haven't got that many relationships, then I think you yourself could maybe do like a personal project in a new style or a new right. look, and, you know, try to show what else you can do, get some variety. In that. Right, right. So what's your, so what's your process working with, with teams? Um, I know you've worked on large projects or big projects with large teams. Now thinking of one in particular, I think Cosmos was one of those. But I think that was a bit of a, a peculiar one where you guys actually found some some videos or something that you guys wanted to use for the piece because it's it's more of a collection of very different styles. Can you talk about that one a little bit? Yeah, so that one's cool projects because it was it's the story of the universe, you know, and we wanted to tell, instead of just doing a traditional title sequence, which often fits within one particular style, we wanted to pay homage to the universe in a way and use a variety of different styles and work with this kind of curated set of artists all working in these different mediums and so working with uh the editor it was kind of we first put together a bit of a like animatic or ripomatic mm. of uh, lots of different styles and then the client really liked uh that look the kind of the idea of that and so from then 
from there, it was kind of identifying the particular clips or pieces that we wanted to use. And then for some of them, we reached out to the actual artists that right. kind of had worked on them originally. And then for other ones, we made offers styles that we didn't have. We had like an in-house team as well, also working on shots as well for things that we wanted to do ourselves, like some little macro animations or some of the shots of the planets. So it's kind of a combination of in-house team working on shots and then also like identifying artists that we liked, reaching out to them and sometimes making new content. And then in other cases, we license clips that they had had previously. Like there was some underwater photographers or uh, people who were working with like ink and practical effects and things like that. Right. So some of those people made new clips and then other ones we like licensed uh, existing pieces. But it was cool because it was then trying to bring it all together into this cohesive way and I think the music helped a lot yeah, with that yeah. as well kind of you on this journey yeah yeah um so and... but that was a bit different I guess to other projects where you have a large team because it was actually a bit more like yeah. reaching out to individual artists to work on just one shot as opposed to a large team across like the whole thing yeah and and when you're working on commercials, I'm guessing those are larger teams just because of the nature of the scope of some of those things. And uh, how does that work? Is it does it work in any way different from a title sequence in terms of the way that you work, your process, and in, in those is it different? Well, it's usually the budget kind of determines how yeah. big the team is in a way so if it's even title sequences you might have one that's got more money than a smaller one so from there you know at the beginning you're kind of bidding about how many people you can have for how many weeks and you know you might have that smaller team or if the budget then allows you you can have that that bigger team for a longer amount of time and, you know, I think it's in terms with working with the bigger team or a smaller team, you still at the beginning need to have that very clear understanding of what you want and what the client wants, the collective visions and getting together a detailed brief and just, you know, communication is, is key in those initial kickoffs with the team and you know making sure you have like a detailed document of reference and ideas before you even get on the call and then send that out and then get on the call talk through the project the original brief from if we're talking about a commercial from their agency or client side then your own analysis and your own brief and going through all that and the vision and then the kind of timelines and and deadlines that you're trying to hit and then it's making sure everyone understands because if it's easy if you only have two 
three people on the call and everyone can ask questions and things. Yeah. But if you have this large team, you got to then make sure everyone understands and you have different personalities. Some people will talk a lot and ask questions. <laughs> yeah. Others, maybe not as much. So you need to just make sure everyone's kind of clear about what they're trying to do and you know make sure they can follow the brief and their responsibilities so i think that's key like the communication and making sure everyone's ready for what they need to do and that's that first brief but then i think it's like checking in especially in that first week just checking in maybe even individually and you have your dailies call but then maybe messaging people on slack and making sure that oh they're doing design is everything working they understand what they're doing checking in on maybe some updates from them and just you know so if you have that relationship again then sometimes you know you have a bit more trust you can say oh that person gets it so you know they right. can maybe go for a couple of days without the check-in but if it's new people and often with the bigger team there is some new people in there so it's about just making sure you're just checking in enough and seeing the work they're doing and making sure they understand everything. So I think that's where the challenge comes because smaller team, it's easier to sort of get mm. the brief and everyone's asking questions, but the bigger the team, you know, you don't even have time for everyone to ask questions. So you have to then be checking in and working with the producer to make sure that just everything's flowing right that's the beginning and then that kind of just continues for the whole project really yeah. then new people come in so then you have to get you know do the brief with them again and ease them into the team and the dailies and things like that so yeah, i guess i think it's a, all about, what's that sir i guess there's a there's a an interesting balance there where when you're building those teams large or small if you can have uh, more seasoned people working with you that typically means that you don't have to be checking in as much and being as close to them because they, they can go off for like a week maybe not even getting back to you as much and you know that uh, the work the work is being done and being done the correct way for the project because you've worked with them before and you know that they're pros and have been doing this for a long time they don't need as much hand-holding, whereas other people are younger and they kind of need that. And and if you, I'm guessing if you can, because, you know, seasoned people are more expensive, obviously. And if you can accommodate a, a, on a project, having those two types of people, that usually works in your favor. Because if you don't have to be as much hands-on, uh, that means you can probably take on another project at the same time. And that's good for the company as a whole because productivity is, and I'm just thinking as a studio owner, you know, that you need to kind of think about those things at the same, at the same time. Right. And how, I'm guessing that happens to you and to everybody at Elastic. That's how you can kind of keep a studio profitable and, and going. And how many projects do you have at the same, at the same time on every, any given day running at the same time? Yeah, actually, real quick, going back to what you were saying on the team, I think that's totally right. Before even the job begins, it's about building that team and working with 
the schedulers and the producers because just getting that right balance of experience and different types of skill sets I think is really important and then also balance of people that you know and maybe don't know know the strengths of weaknesses yeah you know because that runs in the studio is trying to get probably like a few set people everyone wants them for their job so about yeah. like oh they're not available then okay then we need to now balance it a bit differently so there's a lot of planning and thinking when when before the job even starts so before what i was talking about communications about now working building that team so exactly what you're saying and then on to the next question, it can range, you know, it could be three projects, two projects, even up to five projects at a time. Depends, you know, how big, how busy the studio is at the time. And then also, you know, if you might have a really big one, that's, the same as maybe two projects or even three projects. So it's about, yeah, bouncing. But I kind of like to be busy and I like to have multiple projects. It was like what I was talking about earlier. Sometimes it's not working with an artist on one project. It's nice mm -hmm. to have another one that you can move on to. Or even if everyone is working really well, if you have those downtimes, it's nice to have that new project or that new pitch and you're like, oh, you'd be great on this. And everyone's excited maybe yeah. to even have a break if we've got this long project on or if it's, you know, less exciting, then you get this exciting pitch. It's cool to have those other projects on and like juggle the team a little bit. Um, yeah, that, that, that's what I was going to say because I, I think sometimes having multiple projects, if it's not too many at the same time and that might get a little tricky, but hmm. you get to you know, freshen up your ideas. And if you've been working on a thing for maybe a year, which sometimes happens or more, then you kind of need yeah. something else to come in. And so you can kind of focus on that and then go back to the other thing. Because if you're just doing one thing for a long, long time, and sometimes it's revisions and revisions and revisions and starting over. <laughs> when you have to start over, that's that's a bitch. And so, uh, yeah, having dif different stuff at the same time is, is good right yeah for sure and even you know for me i'm lucky because i always have different stuff going on but if there's someone an artist that's working on just one job and they've been on it for ages it is kind of nice for me to go oh hey you want to work on this other one for a few days and they're always pretty keen right so it's kind of good for them good for yeah. me as well well that's <laughs> why it's for me to like Instead of me going, oh, there's a down, down day, you know, or there's a few down days, you know, selfishly, you don't want to like release them to the studio. You want to be like, hey, let's work on this <laughs> other job that I've got going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's like wheeling and dealing with yourself. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, that's what I do enjoy that. <laughs> and um. Uh, you, you're a very, very I've, I've worked with a few directors at, at Elastic. You're, you're, a, you're a very visual 
director in, the, in a way that you brief people and you always have a lot of you you talk with with images which is which is cool and uh, uh, some some other creative directors like talking and in and, and talking through things and and that's very helpful as well but uh visuals and having visual references is i i, I think is kind of your, your style of, at least in, in the projects that I've been involved with, with you. And that's kind of cool. And because it just helps everybody understand what you're talking about, even yourself, I'm guessing. And do you also, when working on, let's say a title sequence, um, where you have maybe three other people working on the concept, do you also do your own concepts for those? Yeah, I like to. You know, I like to take some time when the brief comes in and think up ideas and concepts that that relate to it and that I think will work out well. I think, yeah, that's what I enjoy the most, kind of doing doing concepts. I think if you just like throw it out and go, hey, guys, do whatever you like, then it's not really... Uh, you don't feel ownership, you know, so. Right, right. Yeah, for sure, I do like to uh, come up with ideas and concepts. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, what, can you tell me about a, a pitch that you wish had gone through, something that you worked on that you, one of those that you wanted, really wanted to do, and then either you didn't win or the uh, showrunners went with something else? Mid project, can you talk about one in particular, or just something you wish you had done? Uh, there's a few, I guess, that have gone away over the years. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one. <laughs> Usually, you try to just move on and forget about it, and then pray that the show crashes and burns. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't want to dwell too much right. so it's good if the show doesn't do well and then you're like oh well see they didn't know what they were doing anyway it's it's the, it's the title sequence fault <laughs> the show crashed well sometimes actually i won't go into the details but i've done like a pitch call and then you know they didn't really ask enough questions or they didn't really seem to even be like that enthused mm. on the project that comes back to when they were giving the brief and you know i was talking about briefs before you know it's nice when you get on because you often you i mean pretty much always you're pitching for free right so you're giving your time so it's nice to get the respect of when people are briefing you that they're enthused and they tell you you know, they're passionate about the project and they give you a good brief. And then when you do the pitch, they then respond. Even if you don't end up winning it, you know, if they respond and ask good questions and kind of look at what you did and give you, you know, an articulate kind of interpretation of it. And then you feel good about, oh yeah, well, they respond well to different things and different ideas. Mm -hmm. It's nice, you know, if it, if it didn't win that at least they kind of are knowledgeable enough to kind of look at what you did and ask questions and 
you know, maybe feedback about different things and kind of give you that, the respect back. Because, you know, it's often you've worked on it with a team of people for maybe two weeks and then you get on a call. So it's nice to get that appreciation yeah. and feedback. And I think the best directors are ones who you come on and they'll be talking about the project. They know the ins and outs on every little thing, every little character, you know, the music, the story. Um, they're the ones that I think give you the best brief and they're the projects that when you work on them, then you're like, oh yeah, this, this person really knows their stuff. And that's when it's exciting to work on. Um, and I think they're the ones where the show is successful. Sometimes you might get a bad brief and then the pitch, like they don't really have very good questions. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, the show bombed, I wonder. <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I guessing, I'm guessing by now you, when you get a script or you get to watch the, the pilot, you kind of have the uh, experience to kind of sense if the show is going to bomb or not. <laughs> <laughs> just because you've seen so much i know that i have kind of have that sixth sense by now where i kind of i can tell if this thing is going to take off or, or not just by looking at yeah. at their stuff it can be tricky sometimes the scripts i've been wrong be good. though yeah i've been yeah, wrong on the script be good and then you see the pilot and then you're like oh maybe the acting's doesn't hold up as well but yeah. it can be the other way around you know um you get a sense but no i'm not an expert of making shows too so you know yeah um, but i i remember i was working on perry mason mm -hmm. the title sequence for perry mason with hazel i think and we got to watch some clips or something from the show and get to read the, uh, the scripts and i i just thought this thing sucks I'm just the and i because it didn't have the all the vfx done or most of the vfx done it, it wasn't graded but I, i thought i could see through that and kind of know that this the, if the show was going to be good or not and i i said well, this isn't going to work out and when it came out it was actually pretty good And it was kind of a, a success for that kind of show. It wasn't a huge hit, but it was mm -hmm. a success. So, yeah, sometimes you, especially when you get to watch stuff without being finished, and that makes it hard sometimes for you to kind of gauge if it's going to look good or not when it's done. Uh, but I, I'm, it's, it's just, I feel like, it's just such a privilege sometimes to kind of watch those things that you know you, you're seeing the sausage being made in real time if they bring you in when they're actually still doing it and i remember last year i worked on a show called lioness um with oh, yeah. taylor sheridan's show on paramount i think and we were working on the title sequence and they were sending us dailies from the show and And those were raw dailies where you actually got to see the director come in and give direction to the actors and the actors talking amongst each other, prepping for the scene. 
and you, it had audio on, which isn't doesn't happen all the time. You can actually hear them talking, and it, it's like going to film school. And I uh, and and they sent a a shitload of dailies, like gigabytes and gigabytes of of stuff, and. I had to kind of find clips to use for the title sequence, but which sometimes can be a, a hard thing to do going through that much, uh, that much information, that, 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 that many files, but it was actually a joy just to watch every clip and, and watch Nicole Kidman talk to Zoe, to Zoe before, before the take and, the director saying action and coming in and changing things. That was very, very cool. It felt like such a privilege to be able to be sitting down here in Portugal, looking at a monitor and actually felt feeling like I was there watching them work. Right. That doesn't go away. I think that feeling. Yeah, that's really cool. And you're right. It's a privilege. I think we're all lucky to, to work on all these shows and, and even just be reading scripts, you know, sometimes you spend the day reading scripts and mm. then you go, this is a pretty cool job, you know, to be just reading a script and thinking about the show or other days you're watching a, a show and then my wife will like come in and she'd be like, what are you doing? Are you working? And then you're like, yeah, I'm working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take some time out or whatever. And you're like, I'm working, I'm working here. <laughs> happened to be watching a show yeah or sometimes just sitting in, in, on the couch reading so, something off of your phone it's 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 a script you're just reading the script off of your phone sitting on a couch it, it's work <laughs> yeah exactly well that's a cool thing now uh, obviously with remote and and with phones you might be because sometimes you might even just be not reading a script, but you got an idea like percolating in your brain and you're out somewhere or it's probably a bad habit, but you know, you might be out with your friends or the kids and then you, you got this idea percolated. So mm -hmm. then you just have a look on the phone, maybe like have a look <laughs> at some images or you write down some notes. Yep. So <laughs> that moment, you were like, what are you doing? You're like, I'm working. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like the dentist in the appointment, waiting for the appointment, and people are like, sometimes you might. Um, I went to the dentist once, and she was, I was working that day, and she's like, you got the day off because I was dressed kind of casually. You're like, no, I'm working. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. like, I'm working. Right? I was yeah, working yeah. in the waiting room, writing down some ideas and stuff. You know, so yeah, because uh, ideas, ideas are nagging things. They keep nagging yeah, at you. Exactly. You're always. You, it, it might seem like you're not thinking about it, but you are always in the back of your head. You're always. What happens to me is, I'll be walking down the street or something. Once I get a brief, it's just automatic. I I cannot shut that off, and I'm just walking out. We are going somewhere, and what starts to happen is everything that I look at, I'm looking at things through the lens of the show. And that's happened to me so many times where I'm, I'm you know, it's maybe it's a telephone post or the lines, the, the wires crossing or just rain, the way the rain is hitting the window or whatever that is. And then that, that all, it's, it's always on from the moment I get a brief, something just switches on. Right. 
Yeah, for sure. It's kind of a blessing and a curse almost because it's like you can't turn it off. But that's an exciting time, I feel, when you first get that brief and you haven't got the idea yet and you're trying to crack the code. And then, you know, you've worked that day and doing what you normally do, but then maybe after work or the next morning going for a walk or you're at the gym or, you know, doing something or you're out or like before you go to bed, it's like ticking away. Then you're like, yeah, like you say, you see the telephone wires or the sun or, you know, nature often like a plant or a tree or things like that can spurn that idea or even like a reference or a texture or things like that. So it is cool like that moment when you're still trying to crack the code and then it's, you know, it's the weekend or sometimes it's even you get a brief before a vacation annoyingly. I actually have a theory. I have a theory about that because studios typically will reach out on a Friday. And I think <laughs> yeah. at least some some studios will, are thinking, well, we're gonna get two days for free. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna, <laughs> yeah. gonna brief this sucker on a Friday. He's gonna be thinking about this thing all weekend, and by yeah. Monday he's gonna have some ideas and he's gonna hit the ground running, as they like to say. And I'm like, yeah, you guys want two days for free, right? Because you know I can shut this thing off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even me selfishly probably have been known to do a brief on a Friday. It's more so that then the Monday is like, you might not get to the brief till like midday. So right. it's better to have Friday <laughs> meeting brief. Sometimes doing the brief is where, you know, I might even crack the code, not crack the code, but it can... It helps giving a brief because someone might say a question or say something that then just triggers some other thoughts, you know. So the brief, especially with people that you know, good people, they might come in with a question you haven't even thought about or like comment on an image or a theme or your idea. You've got this idea and then they ask this question that then can trigger like a, a a new branch off of the idea that leads to something else. So that's actually something. Is. Do you think that working on location at a studio, as we used to, did that happen more often? Was it easier for that stuff to happen because uh, a colleague would be walking by the monitor and maybe say something, or it, it'll spark a bit of a conversation. Whereas if you're working by yourself then you 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 set up a call or a check-in but that's that's like a forced moment if you know what i mean that's uh you if it doesn't happen spontaneously it's it's scheduled so that's that's different i i I guess maybe you kind of lose a bit of that yeah i was gonna say yes and no because sometimes like back in the office days you'd have maybe like five people trying to crowd around your little desk mm. and it can be harder to like show your diff- show reference or, you know, everyone you're trying to show a video and then people are like peeking oh, right. their yeah. head over the monitor. 
right, and right. all like get around and see it. It's funny, like before the pandemic, we weren't as skilled at almost well, like presenting work and you know, we would have these good conversations. But I feel on a video call, sometimes it can actually be easier to share your screen, play this video, everyone's seeing it, everyone's hearing the audio, you know, that's can be clearer in a way mm. to get that. And then also, as, if, as, as I was saying earlier, if you sent it out, and sometimes I use Milanote or like make a slide deck or whatever, if you send that out earlier, people have had a time to sort of look at it and thinking about it then you do the call and then like everyone's a bit more prepared and it's easier to see the information um i guess the like walking past the desk thing it doesn't happen but i feel like the actual brief the the moment when you're all talking can be quite smooth on the video call too yeah i guess it works both ways so what's your what's your favorite part of, of a project? What's your favorite part of the process? Is it early in the beginning? Is it when you're editing and you get the music? What's your favorite? It's probably what we were already talking about before, like cracking that code. Yeah. The idea like percolating your brain and try to think about it. I do like the pitch moments because it's sort of like all right this pitch is on you got a week or two weeks boom let's go ideas you know yeah. let's start thinking about ideas let's it's good to have that pressure you know to go like all right we're presenting on this date let's go mm. and then you go oh man i gotta go and then you got other projects that are already in production so you can't sort of ignore them you got to check in with what's going on there it's nice to have that variety you know maybe you got a project that's in production but it's in the design phase then you've got another one that's in production in animation yeah. phase and then you get this pitch and it's hot and it's like let's go boom 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 and you got to think up ideas but then still come back to these other ones so yeah. probably that beginning moment but I do like having all moments spontaneously happening at the same time to kind of keep you on your toes and uh, you know, sometimes you're working on a job it often happens with the zeitgeist of like oh we need to do this certain style or look and then you're like, oh, we were just doing that on this other job, you know? And then you go, oh, well, we can take that idea and flip it and do this other thing. And then that works with this, you know? It does sort of feel that sometimes there is a bit of a, a moment of like, oh, yeah, we were just doing that thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, when you're starting a project on a pitch for a title sequence, I'd say, and you get briefed by the client. Um, you know, once you get off that call, or once you get that email, is there still that moment where once you've gone through the thing, you know, you, 
you now know what the ask is and what the show is, and you have no idea <laughs> what you're going to do. <laughs> and you know that you need to have more than one idea in a week. Does it still freak you out sometimes? Does it, is there still that, that rush of adrenaline that makes you feel like, why did I get into this business? Why did I take this job? Um, why did I take the pitch or why am I doing this job? Why am I, yeah, why am I a designer at all? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the stress is good, you know, that's when, that's when, you know, you got a good project on your hands because you need the challenge of, of cracking the code and the stress that comes with still, it's kind of nice when when you get this brief that you don't really know what you want to do, even for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Then you got to dig deeper, dig deeper with your research or your reading or your visual research or like, you know. It comes out of research, right? It, it, it always yeah, comes research. out of research. Yeah. And then maybe you have like an initial brief with the team and everyone's spitballing but everyone no one sort of got it yet but those calls can be good to sort of help uh hone in on things but i don't think the stress of a pitch ever makes me think why am i doing this <laughs> probably would be more like the stress of Sometimes production can be <laughs> really annoying. Yeah. You know, any job is can turn into a nightmare. You yeah. know, things can change. A new showrunner comes on, new agency creative director comes on. The agency are cool, but the clients, you know, hasn't showed the higher, higher client. Right. right. You know, any job can like take a a bad turn so there can be moments where when it can get stressful there are more the moments where you're like oh man this kind of sucks but that comes with experience too right because that never goes what i'm trying to say is that that, that never goes away at least in my mm. experience that never goes away and it shouldn't because that's what mm. that's the kick in, in the ass that you always need to feel uh, if it makes you try to do something good, uh, at least for yourself, because yeah. that's where it starts. You're trying to do something that you like, that you would love to see, that you want to do. That's where it starts. And then you've got to try and figure out if it fits with what the client wants. And then those two things mm -hmm. need to, to match. But that, that first, that initial gut reaction of, oh, shit, here we go again. And, and, but, you know, but if you've done the, this stuff for a while, you know, you're going to get there because mm. you always have, and you have some yeah. sort of process in place where if this fails and if this fails and if this fails, you have, you have a bunch of other processes that you can resort to, to get to the end, to the, the end line, finish line. Um, so you kind of know that. Once you've done this for a while, you know you're going to do it. You're going to be able to accomplish the task. What kind of 
to me now makes me a bit uh have a bit of stress or urgency when taking on a new project is am i going to be able to make this one really good and like ex or go over the fence and be something special because i know every project has that potential or almost every project not mm -hmm. every every project but almost every project has the potential to be something special um am i going to be able to get there that's what makes me stressed sometimes right yeah for sure i mean sometimes winning a pitch is stressful because then you like get off the phone and you're like oh man now we have to actually make this thing you know <laughs> all of that it's sort of just like it's an idea they're like yeah, well, yeah, yeah we can do this and then this happens and then that and then they're like i love it let's make it and then so like, true oh, so yeah. true shit no, I gotta the do deadline that. again what was the budget again on this thing oh man like this oh so true <laughs> but you know you don't want things to be easy i feel yeah if it's too easy then uh you want to be challenged and pushed yeah. in different ways yeah you know, sometimes it's strange if you don't get notes and then you're like okay where are the notes and then sort of start getting worried that there hasn't been enough notes and you're like where's the curveball right there's that curveball because you got that experience you know the curveball there is going to be a curveball so you're just sort of waiting and then the later it goes you're like oh man we're getting close to a deadline where's that curveball yeah you know? so and sometimes but, you know, sometimes the curveball is that the the show gets killed <laughs> or the, <laughs> the title gets killed yeah 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 exactly but i mean yeah it's good to be kept on your toes i feel keep things keep things I agree. exciting get I agree. a good curveball like a i guess it's not that good to get a curveball on like friday <laughs> evening uh, a monday morning curveball can be good <laughs> give you a little kickstart all right so um let's go back i usually do this at the beginning of a podcast but i wanted to mix it up this time so let's go back to when, when you started out so you were born in australia you were in sydney right mm, no i was actually born in london ah. grew up there and then my family moved to sydney when i was like 11. okay can you take us back then a little bit to when you uh so you were born in london and moved to australia and you went to did you go to art school or just take us a little walk us through a little bit of your early days just for context mm. yeah for sure so i think i did go to university out here but i think probably even back even when I was a kid because my parents were both teachers in London and you know they would take us to a lot of all the museums and galleries around town like the 
Natural History Museum and the National Gallery and Science Museum and things like that. And then going to like the Tate Modern and then even go to see films at the Barbican. I don't know if you know the the Barbican, the really like cool brutalist buildings. Uh, I'm going to London love. next next week. I've 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 been there years and years ago. Never been to the Barbican. I'm going to try and go this this Oh time. yeah, you should check it out. It's like this really cool brutalist building and they have they have like apartments residential but then there's also movie theaters in there yeah so really cool place to check out and i think going to those galleries even though i didn't know kind of gave me that creative beginning my dad was like a very passionate Londoner, so you're taking us to the big museums, but also would take us to a lot of the smaller galleries and would talk a lot about the architecture around London and even like different sculptures. Like he liked Rodin, so he would point out like a Rodin like outside when we're walking around. And I think because they were teachers too, they had like long holiday periods.
grounding. And your first, and then yeah, your first job. Yeah, that. Uh, so when I left, it was kind of oh, towards the end of uni. I started getting into animation, and yeah, started learning actually first flash animation and then After Effects. And then when I finished, I kind of had like graphic design, photography. some animation skills so i was like applying for all different jobs and actually got i couldn't get a animation job at first and got this job at this like design packaging place like doing design for product i was there for a few months and then i ran into this guy at the train station who i used to play soccer with and he was working at this animation studio and then i was like oh man sounds cool and then he got me in for a meeting and then yeah i ended up getting a job there and that was like a little boutique animation studio which actually then unfortunately closed down after a few months but that was kind of enough to like with my like uni show reel and some stuff that i did there was enough to then like get another job doing like motion design and then building up the experience at a few studios around Sydney and then going freelance. Then I went over to London for a bit doing freelance and then, yeah. Oh, you went back to London for a bit? Uh, yeah, I went back to London for a bit for, yeah, working freelancing at different studios over there and then back to Sydney And eventually ended up going over to America. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a long story, but uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. ended up in America and So did working you over there. did you go to America for did you were you just trying to freelance there or trying to get a a, a staff job or did you was it was it for Elastic already when you when you went there to America? And uh, so whenever with my partner and we were doing, she always wanted to go to America and decided to go there and yeah, try and do some traveling and then also try our luck at getting work over there. Um, but as a backup, if you're Australian, you can get like a year working holiday or two year in Canada. So we had like this Canadian Okay. working visa and then went to America, did like a road trip from Seattle, like across the country. And Oh, then nice. we went uh, across from Seattle to Chicago, then went into Canada and we were in Toronto for a bit. But then we were so like, oh, we want to do America. And then my partner ended up getting a job in New York. And we were already engaged. Um, so then we were like, oh, let's get married, like, in, in America. So then, because she had a job, that allowed, that was kind of a long story about visas and all that, but, like, it allowed me to then, she had, Australians get this visa called E3. She had the E3 visa. Then you can get an E3B as the spouse, which actually lets you do freelance work. So then it's kind of perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, that's that's cool. Yeah. and then I had a friend who worked at Mill LA introduce me to Mill New York. 
and I started working there. Mm -hmm. And we were in New York for a couple of years. And then I met some people at Framestore and worked at Framestore in New York. And then they were like, oh, they need people in LA. They need someone to start the design department over there, be a design director over there. And so I went over to LA, met the team yeah. there and ended up getting a job in LA, sort of starting out another design director from the UK office came over and then me and him kind of helped develop the design uh, department in Framestore LA. And mm -hmm. then about 18 months later, a friend of mine from Australia, uh, Pat Clare, who you know was working at Elastic and he mm -hmm. was like, oh, you should come for a meet at Elastic. Right, um, right, right. An interesting project. <laughs> so then I went over and met Jen. Yeah. Um, and had a good chat with Jen and ended up getting offered the position at uh Elastic. Elastic. Yeah. Nice, um, yeah. Did you yeah, uh kind of... you you've yeah, you've you've moved around quite a bit. I'm I'm guessing back when you guys were in New York living for a, a while, as you mentioned, then you actually got married in New York. You didn't have kids back then. You could you could just kind of float around a bit more than you probably can now <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so in new york yeah it was pre-kids and actually when we moved to la uh my wife had a right. baby like a couple of months later so it was sort of like new city and baby so he, and... he so he was born uh, the baby was born in in america then yeah yeah born nice. in LA. yeah cool and then we had another one 18 months later so she was born in LA too so they're American then <laughs> yeah they actually got three passports because through me they could get the English and Australia right right right, right. wow that's pretty cool for them when they grow up although <laughs> <laughs> Well, the UK one's not as cool now after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of a lot of people. I think a big thing is that has helped me through the years is meeting people and networking and people that I've worked with often later on have opened the door for me, like even a few years later. Right. Like I was saying, guy I knew it. Mill LA I actually went to uni with him so that was like from a while back I knew him and mm -hmm. then I worked with Pat Claire on this tv show in Sydney I guess it would have been like at least six or seven years before I was then mm -hmm. in LA so kind of had that earlier connection and then a guy I met working at Animal Logic in Sydney then I saw at the mill in New York and he was like, oh, I do a lot of work at Framestore. Come and work at Framestore. So yeah. Yeah. always, you got to be conscious of like who you're working with now. You know, those connections that you make can often you know, yeah. be there for you later on. So it's always good to, I guess, be like a good team player and make positive connections with people along the way because yeah that's yeah. definitely my experience because 
because I'm here in, in Portugal. I didn't really get to go to America to work at a studio or anything. I've always been remote for the longest time and keeping those relationships going and, you know, and being on time, being good to work with and, you know, having quality work, obviously, too. And that means that when people move from place to place or some of them open their own studios or maybe they go to the client side and and those things really work out. I mean, that that's kind of how, how I built my career is, you know, people like to work with me, so they keep coming back wherever they are, wherever they're doing. And that, uh, it's not like I was running into people while going to the gym or, or at uni or any of those things, but I needed to make it work for me, right? And so I had to, the one way to do it was not to be an asshole on Zoom calls. <laughs> <laughs> and not miss deadlines and all that stuff and you got to do what you got to do yeah exactly i mean even it's like the artists that you're working with now they're not your client but later on they could well be or yeah. you know it's got to keep that you know positive attitude i think try to be humble and yeah. ego free you know, especially now we're doing good Zoom calls. You want to do the brief and like understand the brief, but it is nice to kind of be able to chew the fat a little and mm. do some water cooler talk, you know, and crack a few jokes and <laughs> have a bit of fun as well, you know, even when that curveball comes in, maybe see the dark comedy and some of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 no, that's that's also why I like doing this this podcast is to talk to people, just you know, just shoot the shit and 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 talk talk shop for a bit and just goof around a little bit too. I guess I think that's important for everyone. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good skill for sure. I think. Yeah. Personality, like picking that who you want to work with next. Personality definitely yeah, comes yeah, yeah. into it. Yeah. I have the talent to back it up, but if the yeah. personality is like zero out of ten, then it's also tricky to get that. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so you know, saying that too, like different people are, you have to work with different personalities too. Some people might be more introverted, and that's fine. You know, so it's about everything's about just not being an asshole like you were saying but yeah. you can totally be like an introverted person and be quiet on the calls or whatever but uh, yeah 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 you gotta be able to work with every, all types as, as long as as long yeah. as you're able to communicate that's important and the work is obviously of quality so what's uh what's one of your favorite projects that you've done going back to talking about projects and stuff from your own work what's a a favorite that comes to mind mm, had some cool ones last year there was this one loop well that was kind of the code name for life mm. on this on our planet which was kind of looking at the history of Earth, but going back from the very beginning and then going through 
to present day and looking at all the different creatures that have lived on the on earth and they kind of when they were describing it they were describing it almost like dynasties like you had plants and uh like fungi and mushrooms and birds and reptiles and things like that so they had this huge brief and then they wanted a title sequence that could kind of encapsulate all those things and you know they were using things like make this the most premium title sequence ever made and stuff like that's that what I was, I was gonna say that's a lot of heavy cg that one that must have been yeah quite a yeah so that one it started out when we initially pitching it because we kind of thought, well, we're not going to be able to do like character animation of these huge creatures, you know, because actually ILM were doing the creatures for the show. Mm -hmm. And we kind of thought, oh, there was talk of maybe be able to get access to some of the models. But then we thought, oh, it's going to be like a totally different pipeline and everything. So it'll be hard to be able to bring them in and animate them and do justice to them so then we decided to present more uh like macro studies of some of these elements uh or some of the creatures that have lived um throughout the time and it was cool because there was a lot of i guess everyone knows about the dinosaurs but there were a lot of creatures that i never heard of um like this one called Smilodon, which is one of the first models that looked like this huge cat. Uh, so there's a lot of learning involved. But anyway, back to what we were pitching were, we were trying to picture more like macro studies as one idea. And then another idea was this kind of sense of uh, these epic battles. And they also wanted to include these extinction events because there's been obviously these big extinction events through the history of the earth that have played an important part in you know wiping out one set of creatures like the dinosaurs but that then allows other ones to flourish and come or like a meteor, right, has kind of hit the earth and wiped things out, or the ice age. So they wanted to, they had like a lot of things they wanted to try and get in. So another idea was to have this epic battle with the creatures, but then also intercut that with these extinction events and try to make it seem like this huge battle of maybe starting macro on some parts of the body of some creatures and then slowly getting wider and having more and more creatures and extinction events into cutting and then creating this big like epic scene but stylizing the creatures so that they're actually maybe made out of earth or different elements that had happened within the extinction events so they mm. were like creatures made out of fire then there's creatures made out of ice and they're made out of earth and it's cracking and breaking and anyway yeah. so we had all these different ideas and it was this uk client and they were really cool to work with 
and they were kind of also going back and forth with Netflix. And then they, in their uh, original brief, they had some different ideas of like, how can we then encapsulate everything? Could it be like an eye? Like, what do you see at the end? An eye or a human or right. how do we take it forward to the present day? And then one idea was maybe like a tree, a tree of life. And right. so then we kind of liked that idea of the tree of life as a way to, because the idea that I described before, they liked it, but they still wanted something that could kind of be like a bigger thing that could encapsulate the journey and tell the story. Yeah. Um, and so then we started exploring the tree of life. And, you know, that's when the story started to really come together. And so we started with the sapling growing out and then growing out to the bigger tree and then the trees growing. And then you have the extinction events that are kind of like the trees on fire and the tree turns to ice. Then it's like dying down, but then it comes back to life and there's more shrubs and things like that. Right. Anyway, while that was happening, then we were working out, okay, what are we going to do? Because they said, oh, actually, we want to see some of the, the creatures from the show. Uh, so that it was, I enjoyed it because it was quite a lot of challenges, you know. And so then we had to start looking at how we could get the creatures in. And as I was talking about before, the pipeline was going to be too hard to try to get there because they were made often with like their own yeah. um, software tools. and things. Yeah. yeah, the tools. So then we decided to maybe get there some of their creatures on alpha and then comp them into our world. Right. And so we ended up you know, experimenting with that. And so that ended up being the pipeline that we use. So then it, and then the challenge was like, which creatures do we want to use? So we had like some other episodes who we were working in edit, doing like different, um, you know, different edits of different creatures and intercutting that with style frames of the tree. Um, that was working with talented designer Etem, who's mm. from Turkey but now lives in London. And then we had um, Jessica Ledoux on the edit, like helping right. kind of work out which type of clips. And then in house, uh, Lynn was doing like design frames of now like comping just skills of like what creatures we should use, intercutting with some of the 3D designs from a term of the tree and then you know so there was a lot to kind of work out and it's kind of a a long process but it was quite enjoyable to start from that initial concepting ideas to then evolving the idea to then get creatures now getting creatures in um which creatures working on the edit um you know and then then when we moved into animation, to give everyone a shout out, we had um, Lee Buckley, talented animator, Sava, mm -hmm. um, uh, 
this guy called Roman who was doing like the Houdini dynamics of the tree. He's like a specialist of like growing. Especially he was a recommend. That was like a fresh person that we had in use, but he was a recommend. So, you know, it's like all these things we've talked about, like building the team. Then we had another C4D animator, Daniel Moreno in there. So it was pretty challenging. So it's like making the tree grow on nature and growth, but then also comping in the creatures. We had to give reference back to ILM of the scenes of how we wanted it to be lit so they could then give it back to us with it kind of relit for our scenes. And how long did you guys have to work on that? All that stuff. Uh, it's hard to say because there was sort of like up and we sort of mm. went down in different periods. Started there start. was like a pitch, mm. then it was down for a bit, then we right. came back working on the new idea, then it was down. And then, yeah. It sounds like at least uh, a month and a half or two months now for all that stuff, at least. Yeah, it's probably in total, maybe even a few months, including like pitch, then design exploration. Right. It was quite a bit of design exploration. Actually, Atemu did like a cool cut of like all the frames he made. Um, that didn't make it in because there were a lot that didn't make it in and it was like editing do we put the human in do we not so yeah probably three months into that must have had a healthy healthy budget for something like that that's not not typical of a title sequence but um and how large a team was that that sounds like a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i was mentioning some names Probably left some out. Let me just quickly. Check That's okay. Credit. You don't have to go through all, but, but like, <laughs> but like what? To like... give a shout out to to the producer Michael, and then right, uh, the... Michael Rossi, right? Yeah, Michael Ross. Yeah, so he was he was quite skilled in the way he you know let us go down, and all, and the UK client too were really um, agreeable, and you know, yeah, understood. Cool. It probably sounds like a huge budget, but it wasn't that big. So it was a bit like, okay, let's go down for a bit. All right. Right, 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 right. Work out like, because there was a bit like, oh, show the edit to Netflix. Which creatures do you want to use? You know, a bit of right. With the time it has there. to be that one. And then there was this, you know, people had their different favorites of <laughs> the, uh, mini like chicken bird or forgetting all the technical names and stuff there were some that we liked and some that others liked um so it's a bit of a balancing like getting getting everyone happy with the right creatures and then uh quite right. technical with but That's yeah cool. obviously a lot to talk about it so it was quite a cool it was an enjoyable project yeah, yeah, I can I can sense that when you're talking about you liking the challenges of it. Sounds like you like mm. you like that sort of thing where there's there's a few challenge creative challenges here and there. You like that sort of thing, right? You you thrive on that sort of project, which is which is most of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean it is cool when you have I do like dynamics and things growing and nature and those elements 
uh, cool. And then working with specialists in that area and then embedding them within like C4D team. And then also like there were quite a lot of design challenges and a lot of choices with the creatures and editorials. So right. it is nice to have those. It's nice to do like a shorter maybe 30 second ones sometimes that you've done in like five weeks, but it is nice to have those more yeah. bigger projects that where you're always, that's where you get those curveballs or those moments of stress of like, oh man, how are we going to do that thing? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bigger the project, bigger the team, the more challenges there are. So yeah, yeah that's so how about all the light we cannot see that's a recent one where um I'll, the one question i have for that one is when i when i watched that it looks amazing did you guys have the uh the lidar scan of the uh of the uh the city uh, or, or some sort of a uh some some sort of thing you guys could work off of because you know I think all those buildings and the layout of the buildings, I'm guessing that's important for the show. Did the client provide that? Yeah, sure. That was another one that I was tossing up whether to mention when you asked about a, mm. a favorite one that between that and the the other one that we were just talking about. Um, they had they had like when we started these sketch up models of the city. And then they had photos because they had actually made a real wooden version of it for the set. So we had photos of the actual wooden set. And then we had the SketchUp model, which was all right for sort of for the pitch, like the designers were able to tweak it and get it going um, enough for the pitch. But for production, we worked with the modeling team this really talented guy at Elastic or A52 called Jose, who was then, he modeled out, because the, the town is made up of almost like these terrace houses mm. and we couldn't model the whole building. So then he kind of made four or five like hero right. buildings then be used almost like Lego pieces to build out the shots when we had the macro shots we'd have like the hero one closer to camera right. um, so he then did like the high detail of four or five ones and then a more medium or lower detail of the whole town right right but yeah. you so you had the uh you had the the sketchup files just for the pitch and then you had to actually build a thing from ground up yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, it helped to have the SketchUp ones, but it wasn't enough to uh, yeah. to make the. And uh, I don't know if I read this somewhere, I might have, but looking at the sequence, it kind of seems like, and kind of knowing how things go, did you guys have the um, the shots with the light? starting to reveal the city and then 
going back and forth with a client, you had you kind of had to go back and insert some objects and some stuff that kind of referred to the characters and have some have some more of a human side. That's I guess that's what typically the showrunners will like seeing is can you add some human elements to it? And you guys went back and added stuff from the characters. Did that happen that way? Or did you guys thought of that from the get-go, from the beginning? Uh, in some of the pitches we had, because, you know, the the brief was kind of, oh, we've got the town is this very significant element. And you obviously got the, the blind girl uh, in the French town and her story. And then there's the like Nazi, young Nazi soldier. So there's these main characters, but the brief was kind of do something poetic with, with the model. You know, you could do anything, but we probably want to use the yeah. model. So we had some ideas that focused more on just revealing the model it was supposed to represent because she was blind. She used the wooden model to help her or her father had the idea to build it uh, and to help her visualize yeah, the yeah, town yeah. where she was living. So then the idea was with the camera and the light to slowly reveal the town from the macro textures and like seeing even the braille dots on the word and some of the streets to then reveal the city. So there were a few directions where we focused just on the model. And then we had other ideas where it was some character elements like uh, the radio intercutting character elements like the radio or she was doing the radio broadcast of like a radio mm. or the microphone. And then we had other ideas of even showing silhouettes of the Nazi soldiers uh, to kind of show the yeah. the kind of darker side of things. So there's like silhouettes of the soldiers, but also then silhouettes of the people within the city. So we had all these different ideas, some of which were just the build the building, and then others incorporated character stories and different elements right. from the story but they chose this one that was just an exploration of the building but then on the first round they said yeah uh we want to get in the humanity so we yeah. kind of started developing that but not those specific frames then they had these really nice photos of the set where the wooden table with the building was all these woodworking tools and I think it was actually the uncle who um, he made it. So he had like a glass of wine and ashtray and books right, and things right, like right. that. It was some nice photography. So then we were working with Sean Levy who, you know, sent us some then uh, cuts from the show, different ideas. And then we started working out which ones right. would work. And actually talking about earlier about good briefs, he was really great to work with because he was very passionate about the idea and the look. And, but he gave us a lot of trust too. 
you know, once he sort of started seeing the design frames, we were talking about what elements to share for the different characters. And on the phone, he was saying to the other editor, like, oh, I'll get him that shot with the cane and then this shot and that. Yeah. But then once we got those design frames and started showing the edit, you know, he was like very trustful and let us do our thing. And that's, that's great. I think let us get this really nice result because there wasn't like needless tweaking of, you know, like, oh, what about this, this other character or this or like different camera angles? It was a bit more like, enjoying what we're doing and trusting our our process i think great time great clients are the ones that understand that a title sequence doesn't have to be the whole show in in one minute mm. a lot of clients yeah. i find that they want to have all the thing all everything but the kitchen sink in there all the characters all the all the plot lines and that just doesn't make for a good title sequence and I think they always yeah. they always end up agreeing <laughs> sooner rather than later, one hopes. But yeah, yeah. The, the ones that understand that it should be more about um, ideas or moods or, or just finding a metaphor somehow. Those are the ones. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, wrapping things up now. So um, is there... Is there like a a project or something that you want to do in in your career in the future that you'd love to to get into or something something you want to do in your near future that you could talk about? Is there something that piques your interest? Maybe it's a project. Maybe it's a different thing. Is there anything you can talk about? Just curious to know. Yeah, it's probably a few things. We're doing this project at the moment that I can't talk too much about, but we did like a live action shoot and then we're incorporating that in mixed with some CG elements. <clears throat> and then went out to LA in December to do a shoot for a couple of days. So that was a fun one to be a part of. And would be great to do some more of those in the future as well. I think it's a it's a nice mix where you can get some live action and some right. I talked about that stuff live. with Hazel too. You know, using, going yeah. back to using more live action if one can. Yeah. yeah. So doing more of that. And then there was I don't know how much I can say, but there was a potential job working on a different size canvas we can uh, say okay, okay. larger element like larger buildings or things like that that must have a lot of challenges which you like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well i like to keep up to my toes you know and diversity uh, uh, that's, that's great diversity <laughs> That would be a cool one too. Yeah. And then even things like we did the Nissan one a few years ago now. Mm -hmm. But that was a pretty big rebrand yeah. for the and Nissan had done like the global rebrand of Nissan. And then there was 
big team on that a lot of dynamics and right. a lot of different people involved at various stages so more of those big projects i think are always fun always fun yeah sounds good can't wait to keep see it what big, you keep it challenging yeah <laughs> can't uh, wait to see what you do fresh. <laughs> and then you have balls in the mix <laughs> Yep, you could expect the curveballs. Three of them on at the same time, so they can do some juggling. That's kind of what I like. All right, man. Well, thank you again for doing this. Enjoy the conversation very much. <laughs> I know it's getting probably getting a bit late in Sydney. What time is it there? Let me, let me... Coming up to 10.30. 10.30, yeah. Uh, well, hope to work with you again soon. And because the year's just starting out, I'm sure we're going to have opportunities, or I hope we have opportunities coming up. And always a pleasure talking to you, sir, and seeing you. And um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, man. Yeah, I'm sure we'll work together soon. Always plenty to work with you. And thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Uh, I think it's I think it's going to be a great resource for people. I mean, it's great chatting and just hearing you chat to all these different people, but I think it's going to be a great resource as well, maybe even in the future, you know, who knows how the industry will change. So it'll be yeah. kind of a nice time capsule almost to like yeah. get back to these. I, I Sometimes I feel like I'm, that's what I'm doing, like a, a time capsule of, of the moment. Yeah of where we are in our careers and where the industry is and methods of doing things and, and people coming up and trying to help them out with just our process so, so they can kind of know what to expect when they get to do it too. Um, kind of, I guess, giving back is a, a super way of, of encapsulating that. But yeah, for sure, a time capsule kind of feels that way. I, I just, Look, I just like talking to people that I've, most of them, I've worked with some I haven't. I just, you know, just I like talking about this stuff. I don't, I don't get, yeah, I don't get a lot of opportunities to talk about. I'm sure maybe you don't either because we're always working. We don't get to kind of dissect our own processes and compare stuff. And I guess it's, it's fun and useful. Yeah. So thanks for being a part of that. Yeah.